Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 91. So for this episode, I recently did a thing where, like many of you, I have a massive collection of bookmarks and like tabs on my phone where I've noticed down music people have mentioned to me over the years of stuff I want to check out later and I realized like I'd got a massive backlog of these going back about almost five years so the other day I made a concerted effort to actually listen through everything in, in order and there was some really good albums in there and I thought it'd be fun just to do an episode quickly running down eight or so cool albums I found from this this massive list I'd accumulated uh, of music recommendations. Now, there's no note of where any of this came from, so I'm sure some of these are bound to be like listener submissions. Some are going to be recommendations I've stolen off other podcasts. But I think most of the stuff's kind of underground and weird enough. It's well worth checking out, and there's probably going to be at least a few in here you haven't heard before. And if you did recommend it, thanks very much. Uh, you'll at least finally get a review of it. Sorry I didn't cover it sooner or make a note of your name next to it. Unsurprisingly, there's not really any unifying theme or anything to these albums. It's just essentially eight recommendations of albums I've really enjoyed. So this whole session started off pretty well with the first band I listened to, which was Void Omnia from Oakland, California, with their only album so far, Dying Light, from 2016. The, um... I don't know how I came across this one, but I'm pretty sure the cover art had something to do with it. It's this amazing piece by Glenn Sean, who doesn't seem to have a lot of other covers to their name, of this, like, uh, Reaper-type figure um, kind of summoning or watching this kind of planet exploding in the sky. It, it looks like a kind of really cool, like, hand-drawn thing, but just, like, with this amazing colour scheme of red and oranges and this, like brilliant explosion shape and the band's like excellent logo kind of over it yeah it's just just really cool cover but anyway core of the music is that kind of just really well executed black metal like black metal with no other no other subgenres nothing nothing added to it but it has that thing where just the tones the the whole writing the vocal approach everything just feels so spot on it's that like kind of just makes you feel comfortable and happy in a way that the kind of actual initial emotion of the music is not really intending. Much like I found that Spectral Wound album from this year, where it's just like, it's just so well done. It's a, it's like a warm blanket of atmosphere. Like, you just, you just can relax into this because you know what you're getting and it's just going to be excellent. Like, from the opening notes, you know you're in safe hands. Like, these guys just, they know how to craft black metal. The lineup of Void Omnia is a series of like five guys from the Oakland scene who are all kind of in multiple bands. So like really experienced people, um, most notably Justin Ennis of Ulfar, uh, the drummer of Ulfar plays uh, plays bass for this band. But there's a load of other um, load of other members um, who've got lots of projects I'm kind of vaguely familiar with. I think a lot of the names I probably just know from the Death Metal Dads podcast, like, they're definitely uh, Shelby Cobra's adjacent bands. Um, and it's, it's just really good stuff. Like, as I say, it's, it's kind of no frills black metal. This is just doing that kind of heavy, intense, kind of very dark-sounding, very oppressive kind of black metal just so well. The drumming is incredibly blasty throughout, exactly as you'd want. Like, the guitars 
just do that amazing tremolo thing, but we're over like with a really nice heavy layer of distortion. Because it's two guitarists and a well mixed bass player, it's a much thicker sound. It's not a kind of Norwegian throwback. It is that kind of very heavy, thick sound to it. Um, the vocals of uh, Jameson Kester are like going back and forth between this really heavily distorted high scream and then this more guttural death metal voice, which gives a nice variety to everything and I, I think actually as well like the a lot of why the sound is so good could probably be put down to a really great recording how much of that of the band and how much of that is uh greg wilkinson of ear hammer studios i don't know but if you're not familiar with um with greg's work he's um he's involved in the band brain oil but i think ear hammer are one of those kind of up-and-coming studios there's a load of cool stuff like he's been involved with in recent years um if you're aware of that band abstractor uh they put out that album in 2018 sinners uh incarnate like that was a really great sounding kind of more kind of bleak brutal death doom kind of thing um, yeah, and again, like absolutely amazing sounding album, and he's involved in a lot of bands I've sort of like touched on here. Of uh, so he recorded the two Ulfa albums, which were both incredible sounding. Um, he's involved in the last three uh, Vastum albums, obviously this one, and he's been involved in the last couple of uh, Undergang albums. So like, there's there's a sound coming out of the studio. It is that kind of very raw black and death metal like you know that that kind of sound but yeah i i really like the tones he's kind of involved with I, I, as i say however much of that is the band however much of this is um is the recording is always hard to tell but yeah i haven't got a great deal more to say on this album and it just sounds amazing if you if you were someone who really enjoys death metal or, or like any of those bands i mentioned I'd, I'd give this a go. I realise I just said death metal. I mean, if you're into black metal, give this a go. Or any of those kind of bands, the, the Vastum or Far kind of group of bands. I think this might have some appeal to it. It's got a lot of riffs into it, in it. it. It's very memorable and catchy, but it it doesn't stray far from the path. So far, the band don't seem to have a lot of other releases. They've got a couple of splits that came out after this, but... Fingers crossed they're still working on it. They, they're apparently still active, but as I said, a lot, like a lot of the members are in other projects, so I imagine their tension is fairly torn on this one.
So next up, we've got a particularly wild one. This is Scrambled Defuncts with Souls Despising God from 2009. So this is a Russian band who have been around for quite a while, apparently, formed in 1997, initially going by Fetal Carnage. And a lot of that would um, would imply kind of a more kind of brutal death metal approach. But actually what we get on this is a very intense melding of like brutal death metal, tech death, and then massive classical bits um kind of like if uh if you felt like the first flesh god apocalypse album was good but not weird enough this one might appeal to you so with souls despising god scrambled defuncts uh, on their third album here and sadly final they broke up in 2015 are just doing this absolutely bizarre melding of really complex tech death and then just in the other ear like just massive sounding keys and like, I think there's actually guest violin and cello players, like a guest string section. And these just feel like two two bands having having a fight over like a studio space. Like constantly whiplashing back and forth between these. What's really interesting is I thought it was gonna be like the Flesh God Apocalypse thing where they have a real uh, piano player and then Everything else is um, synth orchestra, but actually they do have four um, four kind of string players credited, as well as the you know the five piece of the band. What's really strange is the most dominant instrument in the entire mix of this is what sounds like a real piano, but I can't find anyone credited on Metal Archives with actually having played that part. The um, and I, yeah, this is a, a slightly difficult CD to get hold of, so I don't actually have the lyric book to look this up in. So I try not to delve too much into that depth because I'm, I'm sure there's just there's details out there I could find if if uh, I was to really dig. But yeah, as I say, the mix of this thing is really dominated by this massive like piano sound, and but the piano isn't that sort of kind of melodic thing you would expect with like you know the septic flesh kind of melding of classical and death metal. Almost the classical part is more intense in a lot of ways than the death metal part. The the piano playing is this really kind of violent, rapid shifting. Like, I imagine if you isolated just that part and actually would get this towards the end of the album, you would still get this hyper-progressive sound, this really kind of intense going backwards and forwards and, and hammering on just like absolutely massive sounding notes every so often to punctuate things. The playing of the rest of the band though against this is is pretty ludicrous. Like the the guitar work is is spectacular. The the riffing to kind of hold like keep up with all of this is so sort of complex and hard to grasp. And because you have that nature of like it's just so many things happening at once. We have two guitarists and a kind of quite technical bass player as well, often throwing in these like sort of tapping sections going up against a keyboard and a string section. So essentially, we have like at port points like you know four different sources of what might be the lead at any point. Um, drummer Max does a fantastic job of like you know somehow holding a beat in all of this and and he's really kind of interesting like never going for the simplistic thing there's so many like wonderfully cool fills and changes in direction this doesn't have the flesh god apocalypse thing of that kind of like wall-to-wall -wall double kicks the double kicks never get up to that like absolute you know like hyper 280 bpm kicks it's, it's not that kind of 
thing, but they the drumming is still very intense. It's just not these kind of like straight up blasting sections or like really fast double kick work. And um, vocalist uh, Vitaly actually keeps things more in a kind of rhythmic direction by going for this kind of low kind of. Um, very unannunciated guttural vocal throughout, which I think really, really suits the sound. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't overpower and add another lead to this. If you had a say clean vocalist or even like a, a clearer, higher pitched screamer, I think it might be a bit too, just uh, too many things fighting for the attention. Because this, for me, is at the very edge of what would just totally overpower me. So, as I say, it came out in two thousand nine on the sadly now defunct uh, SFC Records and. I, this has got to be a pretty unique one for 2009. So we, we covered Septic Flesh a couple of episodes back, and I, I've talked about um, uh, Flesh God Apocalypse. Um, you know, I've mentioned this review and mentioned my sort of love, particularly for their early stuff, quite a few times. And, and for adding that kind of orchestral sound to death metal, this is fairly early on. I think this, this album came out like, it was very late 2009, so I think it sits directly between Flesh God Apocalypse, Oracles, and uh, Septic Flesh's Communion. And what it has over something like Communion is definitely combining that kind of orchestral approach in a very different way. Like, it's, it is not taking the metal to just be this hefty kind of like nod your head along riff it, it uses the metal just adds to the chaos and uses the classical to also create chaos there isn't really a great sense of like catchy melodies or anything like this in here or or even anything that's epic in a traditional way the album is incredibly epic i think uh, that, that sort of huge uh piano sound with the backing strings like certainly adds to that like sense of epicness but it's not epic in your traditional classical it's just, it is absolutely mind-bending stuff. Like I've listened to the album like three times through, so I I, I far from like grasped its uh, <laughs> they kind of the full scope of its eccentricities. There, this is going to be a lifetime to digest kind of album. The only sort of real criticism I have of it is it ends in a really strange way. So the six tracks of this like intensity. But then we have two songs that close the album off that are like almost the best part of 10 minutes back to back, uh, Psychoporeal Warp and Equilibrium. And they're both entirely piano and violin instrumentals. And they're not bad, but it just means the album sort of tails off from these like sort of absolute chaos into just like slightly more melodic, more accessible outro. But the outro goes on for just over eight minutes. It... it I know, it very much, they feel like bonus tracks, and again, maybe if I had the disc, maybe they are actually bonus tracks, which would sort of explain a lot. But then, if they are, the final track, Slough of Despond, just sort of stops. Like, that's, like, that's the end of that thing. Like, there is, there's no, there's no outro or anything like this. I guess what I really like about this is the extent to which they explore this idea of melding these two sounds, and they keep very much in that kind of vein of, never letting up never going for maybe the easier more obvious melodic passage in here it, it almost stays at that level of just overpoweringly complex noise a lot of the time which i think really works it's just yeah maybe i would have liked to have seen some other ideas thrown in there rather than doing this kind of slightly dragged out outro once again it's another one where 
Although nowhere near as kind of beautiful as Void Omnia's cover, I really like the cover to this one. This kind of strange image of these three like twisted creatures on this really industrial landscape. It certainly it certainly gives you a good hint of um, where like where the sound is going for this kind of thing. I've not looked back into any of their their catalog before this. Like their older stuff seems to be far more kind of gore and violence themed um and, and i have no idea if the older stuff has this um this level of of kind of classical influence like uh looking at the previous album um there, there doesn't seem to be any piano or violins or anything like that credited so so maybe not also uh, uh tragically uh, the bass player roman senkin uh passed away back in 2017 so uh, real shame like the, these guys were were young like really incredible musicians so yeah sadly the band are are now defunct oh sorry for that and yeah like he, he's no longer with us so so r.i.p roman um but yeah i highly recommend you check this out if you like that kind of as i say that flesh cut apocalypse sound from their early releases before they went kind of full-on kind of orchestral stuff like I'd highly recommend going and checking this out for for a band like before their time pushing this to the absolute limits. Next up are the Swedish band Sarcasm, who were about in like 1990, like they did a series of demos. And I'm kind of aware of the name vaguely because they're on the Swedish death metal uh, compilation, like that goes along with the book. And they're, they're like the song from that, from the 1992 demo in hate uh, of the same name. It's kind of cool. It's like this sort of vaguely blackened death metal thing where it's like there's a touch of like. Uh, dissection kind of sound in there like there's a lead in the middle of it that's like that bit more like kind of frostbitten and an evil sounding and the vocals at that point in time already had a bit of a, a kind of like 
black metal-y touch to them, a bit of that kind of snarl to them. So they went along, did a ton of demos, um, and that culminated in a compilation and a final EP in 2000. Um, I think actually the band broke up in uh, 1994, but their few like kind of releases were were put out around that time. But some of the founding members reunited the band in 2015. And they're one of those bizarre stories, much like a band like Hell, where they've had this huge output out the other side of reforming. So they've been back together as a band now for six years. And in that brief time, have put out three full-length albums. So the one I checked out, I haven't, I haven't gone back to the other two, was the most recent, Esoteric Tales of the Unserene. And they've now like fully morphed into... Again, a sound you're probably used to hearing a lot about now. It's, you know, it's it's in the dissection vein of melodic slash black and death metal. That, that kind of, um, like, long, well-crafted songs of these these great kind of build-ups, beautiful lead passages, you know, touches of uh, acoustic guitar thrown in there. Actually, the, the songs aren't quite as long as is traditional of the genre. Unsurprisingly, it's got a blue cover with lots of spiky stuff on it, as is is essential and honestly for whatever reason i kind of like burnt out on this genre a while ago like back when i was at uni i got really into stuff like folk and and like uh unanimated um comeback like, i really like that but i'm starting to to get a little sick of the the kind of for want of a better word like the dissection worship you know that kind of that traditional swedish melodic black metal sound but for whatever reason, sarcasm totally appealed to me, and it didn't sound like tried and tested. Like this, this new album just felt like kind of fresh in this style. I and I think maybe a bit of that is because, despite the obvious kind of black metal influence, I which I definitely would would say sarcasm is like that's their primary sound is black metal is. There is a bit of death metal in there. There's particular uh, tracks where they do something a bit different, like towards the end of the album, Celestial Nights, has this full kind of heavy kind of chug section, which sounds like very detuned, and just really pummels you in a very traditionally death metal way. Now the song like kind of evolves from there and goes back towards those kind of melodic leads, but like it keeps it kind of kind of varied. Also, like, none of the stuff on this really outstays is welcome. Like, once they sort of create an atmosphere, they, they move through it quite fast. They don't sit on these kind of melodic riffs for, for like, you know, huge, like, minute-plus passages. Like, the songs are quite condensed, mainly coming in at under the four-minute mark, and especially when you've got as many riffs as a band like this does. Like, I think that really helps. Again, the lead playing, equally tasteful. Um, the, the guitarists, uh, Anders Ericsson and Peter Latian, um, both do the, I think it's both of them soloing, do these solos that are, like, really kind of melodically amazing and grab your attention, but they're gone after a couple of seconds. None of them really continue on for too long. Overall, I, the tone of the album's fantastic, but then again, I guess these guys are like somewhat sort of old hands of that kind of thing. But yeah, like they they they've clearly really nailed this new sound in you know bringing the band back after so long. No idea what those uh, previous two albums like how they match up to to this latest one. But I think if you're into that like melodic Swedish sound like sarcasm, like yeah, you could definitely do a lot worse than that. 
What's interesting, actually, though, is with Sarcasm, it is only two original members, um, Anders, who I mentioned earlier, and uh, Hevel Bozaslan, as uh, the, the vocalist, the, the guitarist and vocalist. Those are the two two kind of old, like, you know, old members of the band, like the rest, I, think, I don't think, made it to the reunion. But interesting, say, Peter, I mentioned earlier, um, his, like, sort of early work in the scene is, again, with a band called Imperial Domain, who... Um, who were active back in the early 90s and then sort of reformed in 2014 and put out a new album in the in the vein of melodic death metal. So another kind of older guy who's sort of finally sort of putting time in with um, with, with a band and, and getting a lot of material recorded. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think a lot of the, the other three guys who were recruited for, for those uh, later albums of Sarcasms come from Imperial Domain, like the drummer and bass player both have been involved with, with that band. Um, I think the drummer is kind of a slightly younger guy, but he seems to be like the kind of most experienced member. Yeah, as I say, like, Sarcasm, just really solid uh, black and death metal with like a touch of that like kind of naglophar necrophobic a bit of that sound to it like if you enjoyed those albums recently highly advise going checking this one out This fourth one, I do know where it came from. The recommendation was from my friend Finn, who told me to check this out ages ago, and I think I just like had favourited in Bandcamp for an absolute age and never got round to. So this is the short-lived UK band Mutant with their second EP, Laserdrome. So not to be confused with the Death Doom band Mutant from Manchester from back in the 90s. These are kind of, well, I say newer. This is a band that definitely were riding high on the Fresh Revival forming in 2004, breaking up not long after the release of, of their second EP. So, yeah, again, it's another band in a genre which I normally didn't have a lot of time for. Like, I, I've been quite vocal of back in the early 2000s and not really loving the whole Fresh Revival. Like, 
it wasn't terrible. It was just I felt a lot of the bands were kind of uninspired. But for some reason, this EP and maybe it's just the short like kind of length of it and sort of the quality of the product there kind of grabbed me. I thought this was pretty amazing, actually. So it's only four tracks long, 20 minutes of music. But these guys who seem to be a pretty young band at the time and sadly don't seem to have a lot of other credits to their names after this, just put out this excellently put together fresh metal. Like, these guys can really fucking play. And... And write these really tight to the point, like, just really shreddy, aggressive thrash songs. Great kind of um, use of gang vocals throughout them as well, which uh, works really well. on like, The opening track, Scrap Brain Zone, because they keep like having a gang vo vocal shouting brain, it makes me think of Destruction's Cracked Brain, which when talking about thrash is no bad thing. The the kind of the, the other thing that actually really stood out to me about the the kind of the sound of this was in the mix we have that kind of bass matching all the notes of the guitars the riff and like they, they've got a really decent bass player in this band and he's just like going on exactly the pace of it really neatly in sync and it just gives the the EP this really kind of full thick sound nothing's like crazily impressive this is this is you know, traditional thrash metal at its core, but it just has that kind of heft and weight to it of, of the kind of the better examples of the older thrash scene. It's certainly aping its influence. I, I mean, I guess, I guess as well, there's probably a little bit of municipal waste in there and that, that kind of the vocal delivery, um, vocalist, um, and, and Atom that he goes by, um, apparently according to Metal Archives, um, he certainly has that kind of more municipal waste delivery and complete the gang vocals. Like, I can see that kind of element in the sound. But the riffing is, I wouldn't say this is crossover thrash. I definitely put this in more, the kind of like more traditional camp. Um, like, the vocalist, also guitarist, and the lead work on this is fantastic. There's some really brilliant solos. And again, it's something I said a lot. Like, kind of, if you want to play thrash post, like, 1990 you have to be so damn good at guitar because we are expecting flashy solos and these guys really deliver i like as well like with the the title like the band have a cool aesthetic the laser drone thing um with the, lo the logo they have for the band a mutant as well it looks very kind of 80s cheap sci-fi slash horror throwback like the front cover like kind of makes me feel a bit sick of the uh it's this kind of like um grid of uh, neon kind of neon on black squares like tapering to this point where there's a skull in the distance and they say that the band have a logo that's very actually kind of looks real throwback to those kind of like 80s like warhammer adjacent game boxes again it's just like a really cool setting and their their lyrical themes seem to be very mixed in with that like this kind of uh, sort of sci-fi horror science fiction kind of stuff it's just a really full package the only thing that lets it down as i say it's a short run time it's 20 minutes four tracks is the last song the rancher i think gets a bit too stupid it's sort of it sort of leans a little into like the pizza thrash party thrash kind of sound and it, it just wasn't the kind of closer to the album i was looking for first three tracks are absolutely fucking brilliant if you want some just really like well played, great sounding thrash. Check out Mutant's Laser Drone.
recommendation I think I took from uh, Rami Hassanabad on an excellent episode of the I Hate Music podcast. It's a really interesting one, and also will start a kind of run of albums where I may or may not be able to source the music in time. We'll see. So this is the Chilean band, Ural, um, spelled U-A-R-A-L, with their first album, 2005, Sounds of Pain. Um, so... These guys play, I think, what Metal Archives terms folk slash doom metal. And the, the the releases are really strange one if you go into it blind. So it's an hour-long kind of doomy album that starts with this, this intro of, um, like, kind of pouring rain and uh, vocalist Cordal just sort of doing these ridiculous sort of over-the-top pain shrieks in the background. And eventually this gives way to this, like, really beautiful melodic kind of very melancholy acoustic guitar passage and Cordo comes in singing some kind of very low clean vocals over it he's got an amazing kind of um just real feel to his vocals he just like this album with you know unsurprisingly for an album called sounds of pain it's a really really depressing sounding and definitely trying to uh to evoke like just a really deeply sad atmosphere and and they kind of to said like that all makes sense uh so the band's a two-piece um it's made up by Cordell doing all the vocals and Asiago who plays all the instruments and early on it seems like he's just going to be like an effects and acoustic guitar guy then odd stuff starts happening about 10 minutes in like if you, you got the measure of this okay it's like sort of weird depressing goffy doom meets like acoustic folky stuff but then Cordell starts over this acoustic passage doing these super low, like, death metal screams. And it sort of keeps working. It just, it sounds totally in character. I think he's committed to the kind of, the lyrics and the kind of atmosphere of this to such an extent that whatever sort of weird delivery he goes for on any given song just fits it's only like it has to be heard to be believed but yeah that that change about 10 minutes into the album is utterly bizarre so we get actually a fair amount of variety in the release. it isn't all just acoustic guitar although uh, that's the instrument asiago really shines at moments later on um like the title track sounds of pain i think brings in like the sort of massive kind of um like doom guitars with like stabs of keyboard over the top and some kind of very rudimentary program drums which which totally fit the sound and then there's there's little things kind of added in over the the kind of acoustic folky sections like some sort of flutes and pan pipes and stuff like that which which fits with the atmosphere he's certainly an impressive multi-instrumentalist although as i say it's, it's the acoustic guitar that really shines through and the album goes back and forth between like sort of acoustic tracks and tracks that are more kind of um obviously metallic i think some of the best moments of this actually are songs where get a little bit of both like there's like um moments where you get the acoustic guitar layered over these kind of program drums and uh like the big more doomy riffs and throughout it um cuddle just keeps changing his vocal approach like in some of his metal sections he goes through these really low uh, death metal vocals and then frozen is like more black metal howls and then even like doing going back to those sort of amazing clean vocals he was doing earlier in the album it's it's really impressive stuff annoyingly as i say this is this is quite a difficult um 
um, to get hold of. It's it's put out on Lost Horizon Records and was limited, I think, to like 500 copies in its uh, original release in Lost Horizon kind of a tiny Gillian label only put out a few albums in total so I think it's one you probably have to spend a lot of money on Discogs these days to pick up which is a shame because it's a really interesting unique product like I the main thing that sells this is totally unique is that combination of screen vocals and just acoustic guitar that isn't kind of for a joke that is sort of deadly serious the the sort of the the package is nothing really to write home about the the kind of the album cover is is just a kind of still photo with a kind of sepia filter on it, but the band have got quite a cool logo. There is one real criticism I have of this album, and it, I guess in many ways it's minor, but in its hour-long runtime, there are quite a lot of, like, interludes. The, the first three minutes of the album I mentioned are about that kind of rain sound effect. It goes on for a full three minutes, and the final five minutes, again, are just like and a kind of atmospheric outro with not really any music, like purely like atmospheric sound effects. And these also go on between the tracks as well. There's a moment of like about two minutes long in the middle of the album of a character like sort of um, screwing up a bit of paper and like walking out of the house into the rain. And I, I, I'm sure it's meant to sort of create the, the kind of feel of a story, the feel of like this character going through the motions but honestly i don't know why that's needed i think you could just do that with with the vocals and the lyrics i don't i don't think these like almost acted kind of atmosphere scenes in between each song were remotely necessary and i think if this is something i like actually owned on cd i would be skipping these tracks as it stands i have only been able to find this online for the time being so i'm having to listen to it as a whole but yeah, I think if, if I was a singer, I'd definitely be skipping these moments. But, you know, I shouldn't let this detract from, uh, you know, how unique the album is. Um, they did manage to put out one more album two years later in 2007 before the, the band uh, disbanded. And sadly, it appears that um, the two members didn't really go on to do anything else, at least not in the kind of metal realm. But they, they did put out some fantastically... <laughs> interesting and, and really emotional uh, music ahead of that time so definitely one well worth checking out at least for um for just being a bit different so that's Ural with their debut album Sounds of Pain so the next I want to cover is the Quebec based band Sword and their debut album Metalized from 1986 I'm not sure who recommended me this one but it was one that grabbed me straight away with its amazing opening track Follow the Wheel so the band are I'd say that the kind of like traditional heavy metal band, but there there's kind of a little bit of like kind of that early thrash sheen rubbing off on them as well. That they they've got a kind of heavier edge than say a lot of what you would think of when you're talking sort of mid eighties heavy metal. Like there may be a little bit of a new wave of British heavy metal influences in there, um, but this is just really well put together metal. Like the the vocalist Rick Hughes has an absolutely incredible singing voice, um, and that's kind of one of the initial really kind of big parts to grab you and like Mike Plant the guitarist puts together some absolutely amazing riffs like as I say that opening track Follow the Wheels is just so decent actually what it really puts it in me in mind of riff wise is some of the better moments of um, Countdown to Extinction era Megadeth now if you're someone who thinks that's way too cheesy this probably won't be for you but then if you kind of can imagine that era of Megadeth but with 
really solid vocals, then yeah, that <laughs> this is sort of what you get here. Um, he the thing that makes me kind of think of Thrash is not only that sort of connection to like a band like Megadeth, even in, albeit in their post like Thrash era, is some of the vocal like the vocals are traditionally like really super melodic cleans um for those amazing harmonies like i don't i don't have the cd for this one either but on metal archive rick hughes is credited with vocals keyboards and vocals brackets backing so he's doing all his own own harmonies there isn't another guy in the band backing him up but on top of that he throws in these occasional kind of like proper screams that kind of put me in mind of something like early flotsam and jetsam or like agent steel like throwing those kind of vocals in on top of the kind of the the more like kind of obviously clean stuff i don't know i thought it gave it a really good edge like incredibly catchy choruses um fantastic guitar work the the drums and bass are fine like this kind of style they're, they're never too showy but you know they they lock down the rhythm section and they're, they're really well mixed, they well played and sound good. Um, it has that thing, I don't know why this is the band always come to mind when I think of this, but it's like the, the kind of annihilator thing where the songs just seem to be totally random subjects, like there's no kind of rhyme or reason to them. So we've got the first one, it's, it's kind of like driving fast, then the second song is called Children of Heaven. Then the third one is a weird screed against being stoned, which just, I don't know, that felt incredibly awkward. There is a sort of oddly kind of slightly conservative vibe to some of the lyrics, not in a massively off-putting way, but I don't know. I think that might just be a product of the time. But yeah, so when the songs aren't about like sort of going fast or doing something in the woods, they seem to be more... Um, <laughs> I don't know, more odd. But anyway, like, the the actually the only issue other than lyrics this album has for me is the first two tracks are probably the best two. Like, they, there isn't really anything bad in it. It's just they're probably the two that were, like, a bit more heavy and had a bit more of, like, a a bit more of a metallic edge to them. Like, some of the tracks later in the album aren't quite as good. But as I say, like, that opening was enough to totally sell me. And, you know, it it's definitely a cool artifact of that era of heavy metal and something that, that to me were completely um unknown at the time um some of that might just be because they don't seem to have been active for all that long they put out one more album in 1988 and then sort of broke up actually in the mid 90s so they, they kept going on for a little while but they didn't put out a great deal of music and actually apparently have reformed as of uh, 2011 no idea how well this stuff will hold up sort of you know the best part of 35 years since its inception i'd be i'd be impressed if rick's voice is still still like up to doing all these songs because as i said the, the vocal performance on this album is really impressive but you know in an interesting one and i i would be really interested to see another release from this band see if they could pull out something more um in this style and see what that would sound like you know 35 on years on from the inception like this is all with a band like sarcasm actually that time away seems to have made him come back even stronger so you know who knows
Um, I've ended up with another band from Quebec, uh, 10 years on for this next release. This is To Live in This World of Chaos by November Grief. So November Grief were um, sort of a very short-lived death metal band. And the kind of, sadly, their notable selling point is they're a bunch of teenage girls doing death metal, which in 1995 must have been extremely rare to have like an all-female band. I think we've covered one or two others, but I... I've kind of looked for it, and I don't think there is a huge amount from this era. But the, ignoring that, the music of this this demo stands on its own. It's their their second release. They did a shorter demo, uh, Evolution, but Evil Dash Evolution. You can kind of show the age of the people writing this um, from, from that title. But yeah, like um, other than that, yeah, this is sort of all they put out. This like really cool twenty five minute long release. It's kind of interesting. It sort of has a sound like it's about five years older than it is. Like there's a lot of reminiscence of the early kind of British death metal and grind scene in it. Um, I'd say it's firmly is a death metal release, but there's certain touches in it that make it feel far more kind of grindy particularly the the drum performance like so the the album opens well sorry the demo opens with a kind of sample and then this kind of slow kind of like sort of doomy heavy riff like it's a really great kind of like nasty thick guitar tone um and stephanie mason's vocals come in she's got this really kind of brilliant um like kind of well enunciated growl she put sort of puts me in mind in a slightly more like guttural version of the dark millennium vocalist like kind of like really like long drawn out stuff with like yeah as i say quite a great degree of enunciation but yeah so it starts off quite doomy so i thought we might get something in the vein of say those um those mythic demos but that actually very quickly is way to just far faster stuff like and what's interesting about this is they sort of just keep going fast for a bit so um uh annie the drummer just like she'll do these kind of like as i say like quite sloppy like first napalm death well first couple of napalm death style album blasts where, like you know it's it's not the kind of the snare disappearing into like this permanent kind of noise it just be, you can hear it just really sort of quickly hammering away with double kicks going but she'll do this for like four bars and then go back to a kind of like you know a slower beat and they, they'll keep throwing it to the whole release like they keep doing these short bursts of blasts and back, which gives the songs these really like en- like energetic, like sudden bursts of life in them, which I-, I found found really interesting. The songs are incredibly to the point, like so they they use like samples between like almost every track. No particularly entertaining samples, but I guess they they break the album up in an interesting enough way. And again, they get another nod to sort of like what's going on in the grind scene at the time but yeah if you ignore those samples most of the tracks are only about two minutes long so they are just a collection of like three or four of their best riffs blast through them and and like the performances are really solid i say like i know it's it is reminiscent of some of that early early british stuff which was a bit more loose but i do feel this is well performed it's just clear that when they kind of launch into the um the kind of faster stuff they are playing at the absolute sort of um limit of their speed uh because this is a demo there are some slight issues the guitars do sound a bit kind of um sort of like washed out and backgroundy more than they would like i i sort of really like the tone of them but often when everything gets going they end up 
falling out of the mix, which is is somewhat accounted for by uh, Stephanie, the vocalist, bass playing actually has somehow sits much better in the mix. Like the bass and drums are, are captured a lot more clearly, whereas the guitars sort of do drift off. But then this is a demo. Like I think you're if you're someone who can enjoy listening to demos, I I would highly advise this one. I think it is really well done. But if that kind of sound, like if you know that kind of sound isn't for you, don't even bother. This this is raw, and it's not. I don't believe even in the reissues has had a particularly um, particularly decent remaster these days. Because um, it was an independent like cassette release in the first place, you're never going to find that. But there there has been a label reissue on LP, which I think is easy enough to pick up. Don't know how you get a digital format out of it though. That that I'm looking into. So. If a song follows this, I've found out how to do it uh, and hit me up. If not, um, yeah, you'll just have to have to pick up the LP. But yeah, to say, really interesting release where Raban sort of had had the kind of ability to do kind of the doomy stuff, the kind of more traditional Florida death metal and the kind of British grind. All those ideas mixed into one in very short pace. Like there was something really interesting going on here, and sadly. They just did these these kind of couple of demos and and called it a day and didn't seem to have had a um, a great deal of um, releases after this point. Although I'm just seeing on Metal Archives, they've apparently reformed as of 2020. So I mean that's something to look out for. I'd be really happy to see if they they put out some uh, some new music. Right, I think that brings us to the band of all of these I most wanted to talk about. So this is um, Melissa with Eyes of the Earth from 1993. So this one is, I have, again, no idea how I found this. This is so ridiculously unknown, this album. Um, So the band name is M-E-L-I-S-S-A. Uh, they're a Bulgarian, like, kind of techy thrash band from... The, this is the one and only release, I believe, from 1993. And I can find nothing online about them other than this one YouTube video of their album uh, from the, the great YouTube channel uh, Heavy Metal of the Eastern Bloc. Um, and this is one of those just completely like, underrated absolute gems. It is... It is fresh from that era, again, to reference Annihilator for the second time in this. Um, fresh from that era, post when Fresh was cool, where the bands kind of still doing it, were often doing something absolutely ridiculous with it. And in this case, these guys were inserting like a level of musicianship nearly unheard of in most Fresh you can think of. Like, we, we are talking sort of like kind of Rust in Peace level playing. Um, and then a lot of odd like really odd creative ideas in there as well um yeah so you can only find it for this video but i highly recommend going to check this one out because I, I think this album eyes of the earth is absolutely incredible um so it starts off with this like kind of um minute-long intro called transitions which sounds like kind of it sounds like kind of reminiscent of some of that later like math rock stuff this kind of odd very clean tapping passage with a bit of a weird sort of timing to it and then when the first track proper kicks in they sort of that kind of spacey kind of clean tone guitar all gone we're straight into some heavy thrashing with a uh, wild fantasy so the kind of riffing of this this 
it is traditional thrash, but just every musician is bad. All five of them are pushing everything to like the limit. The drummer is an absolute beast. The bass player keeps throwing, finding places to throw in kind of like weird flourishes, and the two guitarists are just you know absolute shredders. Um, vocalist uh, Daniel Vasilev. Um, is kind of in the, I'd say, loosely in that kind of, like, overkill, uh, uh, first era, like, annihilator vein, like, sort of very high-pitched, like, sort of shrieks, but will, like, often slip between that and some proper, like, kind of gravelly, almost death metal vocals, and then on top of that, throwing in some, like, super high squeals, like, over the top, just to add effect to certain moments, like, as I mentioned again, like, that, that sort of flotsam and jetsam, uh, doomsday for the deceiver style thing, and within, like, I guess if you ignore the intro, we get an, the, one of the first odd turns of the album halfway through this track, Wild Fantasy, where... In the middle of the song, the kind of middle eight section, rather than going for a kind of traditional thrash solo, the whole band just turns the song into like this 12 bar blues kind of jam thing with like an amazing bit of lead guitar over it, but just suddenly at total odds of the heaviness of the of the previous track, we have this 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 long extended 12 bar blues section that then goes back into the chorus and on to the next song. Um, and yeah, the album sort of progresses like that. We've just lots of like really expansive, incredibly well played um, thrash metal with like fantastic leads, like this amazing, hyper intense vocal delivery for for a further half hour, and it, it's it's near flawless. As I say, like I being a bass player, I really liked all the moments where the bass will throw in like the, an odd like tapping lead just to, to bridge a few bits. I mentioned before, like um, the drummer Galen uh, Simonov is, is is an absolute beast, and and all the solos on this are absolutely spectacular. They are that kind of thing where they are when they come in the real highlight of the track. These these just fantastically well written, immensely kind of catchy, but also total like intense shredding um but then like so we get half an hour of that and it's brilliant i love it they actually like one of the other weird things they bring back is that a sort of spacey lead guitar of the intro does appear in one of these songs in its kind of um sort of middle eight instrumental section um so yeah we get half an hour of that and that feels like quite a complete thing and what's interesting this is like to show kind of how unknown this is the original link I'd saved to this album, so I'd heard it years ago and obviously never been able to track anything down about it. I went to follow the link again, the link was dead, because I think it was on the same channel. Um, they'd managed to unearth another track from this album, so uh, the channel had re-uploaded the video and sort of credited uh, an additional song. The title track, Eyes of the Earth, was... Um, was was found by kind of a fan of the channel so we now have the complete 45 minute album whereas previously i was listening to a slightly condensed version with, with with no idea and the album takes a really odd turn at this track this title track that was was previously missing of suddenly we get this this massive clean vocal ballad so uh, daniel the vocalist just finds finds a completely another sort of string to his uh his vocal bow and suddenly you know he's a great clean singer for this um yeah the amazing kind of title track and and that like leans into that sort of 
Europe-esque power slash heavy metal, particularly when it comes to like the amazingly over-the-top solo that ends out the song. And then we get um, the final track, Reincarnation, is just five minutes of the band just showing off how how good they are. It's it's ridiculous. Actually, you know, eight minutes is is a big piece. Like it starts out as this like it's just an instrumental where the four musicians go absolutely wild, somewhat self indulgent. But honestly, the album's been so good, I'm I'm fully on board with it. It starts off as kind of like a you sort of like typical annihilator instrumental, like that style of sort of. I don't know, there's something very Jeff Waters about the the way the the lead guitar is constructed on this. But then halfway through it, the, the bass player finally gets his like time to shine and it goes into this ridiculous like slap bass thing with like keyboards over it. It gets like really um funky for a moment and, and then then um then finishes on this bit that can only be described as sounding like Emerson, Lake and Palmer style over the top bombastic seventies prog, as like the keyboards and all this additional stuff come into it. It's it's a wild uh, <laughs> a wild song and, and kind of a cool way to end the album. It's a shame not to have that vocalist sort of scene in the in sort of the dying uh, minutes of the album, but I mean he's he's well and truly. Uh, shown off his ability ahead of this but yeah it's one of those like sort of deeply depressing things because the album is so good and as i say like the only note of it i can find on the on the internet anywhere is this this one youtube video uploaded a couple of months ago with only you know a hundred or so views on it it's um otherwise completely off the map i can't like to include uh, an image of the cover of this and the cover of the episode, I just have to scrape the picture from the YouTube video. That's the only thing there is, and it's amazing because this is so good. Like this feels like one of those albums that should be right up there with stuff like Alice in Hell. I really think this is one of these shining gems of the later, like the kind of the post-90s thrash scene like this is not post-90s the the 90s thrash scene like post the post the kind of classic era like this is one of the best things i've heard from this like it's absolutely incredible i mean it's let down by a slightly bland cover but again i don't think this ever got a, a proper label release um i have no idea whether it was just a self-release one or what happened with it i just can't find any further information but what's kind of really terrifying about this kind of stuff is there's no way to archive this. Like, like, we've out, we've like, if this video goes, that's it. I'm probably never gonna hear this album again. Like, it seems like the the kind of guys behind this channel went to quite a lot of lengths just to get all these songs in one place. And if none of us have the CD or vinyl or tape anywhere, there's no record of it existing. If it disappears off the net, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what to do. And I'm not someone who has the skills to sort of rip the music from this. And I'm sure even if you did, like, you're going to reduce the quality from the upload. And there's only so many times you can sort of do that. I don't know what I'm talking about there. Maybe you can, you can sort of scrape the audio of it and it would be fine. No idea. But it's just very interesting that that kind of slightly transient nature of stuff like this where... If there wasn't a good record at the time, if it wasn't something that was put out on a label, these things can quite easily just get lost to history. It's uh, it's um, 
yeah, kind of, kind of bleak that, especially with something like this, which does seem to be so incredibly well done. And so, I highly advise you go check out my YouTube channel. As I've clearly explained, I have no idea how to actually um, get hold of <laughs> this album, so there won't be any song to follow this. Just go look up Melissa Eyes of the Earth. I promise you won't regret it. So to finish this episode off, I've got two reviews, the very recent releases. This first one definitely counts as an nepotism corner because um, I, know, I know they've listened to the podcast in the past, but that doesn't detract from the quality of this. So the band I'm covering is Lowen uh, from London, who um, put out their debut album, A Crypt of Stars, back in 2018, which was this really cool kind of proggy doom metal with a bit of a, like, a bit of a Middle Eastern like folk influence in it. Um, but they have, in the last couple of weeks, put out a new EP called Unceasing Lamentations, which has taken the band into decidedly unmetal territory, but extremely interesting stuff. So, at this point, the lineup is Shem on guitar and vocalist Nina, and this performance is this kind of cool, just vocals and little bits of like a sort of additional instrumentation and percussion and some acoustic guitar. The sound they capture is absolutely spectacular. So front and centre is the vocals. Nina's vocal performance is this ludicrously potent, like extremely powerful kind of clean voice. She's singing. Um, so yeah, the, the, the whole sound of it is really alien because the whole thing is sung in Akkadian and Sumerian, like these these ancient languages like apparently according to Shem she had to do a load of research to um to just know how to pronounce them in a certain like correctly so it like the sound is completely alien you've never really heard anything like it with the the older more metal album though apparently there's a bit of farsi in there so and apparently there's an overlap between those two languages but again i'm 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 just quoting from sort of conversations we've had around this like uh but yeah, you, you're, you're not going to have heard vocal sounding quite like this. And it fits so well with the sort of the the kind of acoustic improvisation going on around it. Um, is these perfect like additions of atmosphere or to give a song like a bit of drive at the right moment. The, the guitars will come in with this, yeah, like a kind of really cool little progression that will just sort of... Uh, you know, speed the song into the next movement. But front and centre are, are these vocals. There's huge passages of this that are just vocals. So what blows me away about this is the performance is completely improvised. I'm reading from the booklet here. The only thing they had ahead of time are the lyrics and the like. There, there's references in the the CD booklet. Sort of some of it coming from like a kind of ancient a translation of ancient babylonian texts and yeah like other references like that so they've taken these historical references these these kind of like stories poems whatever they are and then set them to their own music of a completely improvised nature it's it's incredible because the song seems so purposefully set out i you could have told me these were just folk covers um that they they'd like you know they'd already had the arrangements for and I would have completely believed it but the the way the kind of the vocals are delivered seems so kind of 
purposeful like and and those those moments of acoustic guitar that come in and just add like incredible atmosphere at just the right moment adding a bit of pace at a, like uh, a certain point just to lead the song into the next movement it's really impressive i believe the final track um lale e mada is a is an actual like that is a piece they are covering but the the main bulk of this ep is those first two 10 minute long songs and the, yeah the incredible pieces i think for most listeners probably much like myself this is outside the realm of your usual listening um the the one kind of reference point i had for it is there is bits of it remind me of stuff like Carl Sanders' solo work, particularly in in sort of what the guitar and additional instrumentation is doing, doing around the vocal performance. But I've never heard something like that where it was so sort of dominated by such a, a impressive vocal performance at the front of it. Like Carl Sanders' kind of stuff like that doesn't really lean on the vocals as heavy or use them atmospherically this like there's this amazing lead presence in the midst of that it's well worth checking out just for the kind of performance alone but i think that combination of the research has gone into the lyrics the 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 impressiveness of the performance it's well worth checking out also album cover is absolutely spectacular like you you've got to look it up so they the ep is lowen and the um and it's called um unceasing lamentations so go google that cover because it is it is really spectacular also worth noting and i think you can find this through the band's facebook page there is a really cool like high quality video of the two of them performing this whole ep live and it, it looks spectacular as well like yeah, they're, they're, that is well worth seeing them them doing it in person. Obviously, I really hope um, in the future they continue doing the doom metal with the with these vocals and like these kind of um, folk elements included. But this sort of departure from their previous sound was absolutely fascinating, and I'm really happy to hear this as well. Um, yeah, this is this is just a really fantastic release. <laughs> Nina 
So the final thing we're covering today um, is not something from my bookmark tabs, but actually another great um, entry from the local scene. So this is a band I'd seen live a few times like a couple of years back, and um, I didn't realise they actually had like a, a full-length album out this this month. So back in April, actually, April 30th, they, they put out Yesterday's Problems Today, and this is the band The Malefic Grip. So from seeing them live, I remember these guys being a kind of... Um, electric wizard-esque doom band with some interesting like additional touches to that sound and i was not prepared for this album this album is sort of so much more interesting than that would sound like that kind of makes it feel nothing wrong with you know a bit of electric wizard worship but i think we've definitely heard that before these guys get into some I don't know, psychedelic meets sludge territories with this one. Like, right from the intro, you know you're in for something very, very odd. The the kind of first 30 seconds of the first track, Piss Hassle, are this kind of, <laughs> like, strange, uh, like, sort of keyboard intro made out of um, stuff going wrong noises from Microsoft is the best way I can put it but then sort of that sort of weirdness gives way to this really like hyper fuzzy aggressive sludgy stuff we get the amazing kind of constant vocal trade-off of um, guitarist Helen Kinsella and uh, bass player Liam S. Wolf. Both of them throughout this album, I, I think they have kind of like almost even vocal duties as far as I can tell, but they both do these fantastic kind of really fuzzed out screams over everything where you get a good sense of the lyrics as well, which I really like because they, they have a kind of wonderful sort of misanthropic sense of humor on this album. The the kind of the, the music on this though goes all over the place, so with the next track, things get like very aggressive and punky, whereas uh, track three, um, Malavoid, does kind of lean more to that sort of electric wizard type sound with those sort of washed out sort of Aussie vocals, which I believe uh, Liam's doing the cleans out. I think I've, I think I've seen him doing them live. It's it's been it's been many years. So I, I think as well going to the band camp, the um, the. That is the whole of the band, those two, but um, they have a sort of guest drummer performing with them and a few other uh, guest musicians um, adding in some of like additional sounds on it. But I, I think this is one highly worth checking out if you have time for that kind of sludgy stuff. Like the kind of if you like it when everything about an album is massively fuzzy, there's you know, there's some fantastic kind of nasty guitar and bass tone to this and as they like the kind of the vocals always been washed out and that real um over the top effect means the whole thing's got this just really grimy, horrible edge to it. It's it, yeah, there's something there's something a bit unsettling and just gross about this, and I, I feel that is that's got to be a hundred percent intentional. And the album as well as it has those like, slight psychedelic touches. There's lots of moments where just, just none, 
everything caught me by surprise in it that kind of like bizarre guitar solo in in cell jesus that just doesn't really make sense but it is a perfect fit for the song then things even get a bit kind of like modern neurosisy and the intro to worms with this kind of quite like kind of soundscapey thing at the start before it goes into more of that like kind of sludgy stuff it's just a really fantastic release and just wonderfully sort of left field i was i really enjoyed the kind of album cover as well this um this image of a, a free-eyed possum um, on like a white background with a, a triangle of like space behind it it's just more twisted weirdness uh, as well the the song titles and lyrics frequently made me giggle the uh track five derp smirker i again definitely made me laugh i mean not taking yourself that seriously might put some people off, but I, I I think it really works with the sound they're going for here. This is certainly like a rough and raw recording. There's a, like there's loads of sort of random feedback squeals in the guitar, but again, I think that adds to it. And everything does have quite a sort of rough nature to it, but I think that really fits with it. It very much has the feel of like this being like a band who recorded a lot of this live. No idea if that that is the case or not, but the, yeah, they've really done a good job of like capturing the live sound with it which i i think fits some of that rawness might be off-putting to certain listeners but i think if you're a fan of these kind of genres like that should really appeal and don't worry for those of you who like things that get slow and heavy tracks like a, a neglectful throne certainly have you covered on the really slow plodding doom stuff but then you have the as i said before like tracks like uh, incel jesus that do pick up the pace and get more intense so yeah there's there's a lot to sort of keep you entertained in the half-hour runtime of this album. I, I thought it was a really fantastic release. So that's the malefic grip with yesterday's problems today. So um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it was a bit of a, a kind of random one going through all those various... Um, sort of <laughs> unconnected albums but uh, i thought it was an interesting thing to do sort of looking through like all those kind of music links i've picked up over the years and trying to trying to get my head around a lot of new albums i realized as well it wasn't as in-depth as usual but a lot of those albums i've only listened to two or three times so far so let me know if this one was interesting to you um next uh next episode will be as i promised uh, a proper look into kind of stuff i've been enjoying from 2021 so far sorry for the delay getting this out i, I just wanted to do this one while it was um fresh in my mind so if you enjoyed any of the albums please let me know or if you've got any recommendations for good stuff from 2021 uh please get in touch you can find me at breakfast metal on twitter uh phil's breakfast metal on facebook or um you can email us at uh phil's breakfast metal at gmail.com um if you want to send send some longer stuff through uh, please please get in touch and um thanks a lot for listening mm -hmm.